Greetings! Welcome to the first episode of Duha, a podcast with the aim of shattering the walls of the echo chamber that the internet is turning into. A bit of an introduction as to why I'm here today, I've been thinking about starting a YouTube channel to talk about magazines, review articles, and get paid for rating magazines every month. But since that means showing my face and shaving, I decided to use a platform where I'd have one less thing to worry about. Initially, thanks to all the Jeffrey Archer novels that I read as a kid, I was scared somebody would use my voice and hack into my bank account. But then I realized it's not like I have any money to care about. So, here I am doing this. Let's see how it goes. Through this podcast, I wish to do three main things. The first is to bring out publications and journalism from different sources such as the Wall Street Journal, the New Yorker, the Economist, and my personal favorite, the Harvard Business Review. I might occasionally cite other sources picked up from a local newsstand, but that just means the cover was pretty and I wanted to read what's inside. To clarify, my goal here isn't just to read out what's already written there, but rather analyze and break it down into simple more colloquial language to help your metro commute and cooking time more informative. The second reason is to change the way we as people today tackle and perceive news and concepts around us. There's a plethora of ideas and information in society, but I'm disgusted at how we now consume it. Um, we end up discussing people instead of ideas. Even when the ideas revolve around people, we keep the ideas aside and we talk about the people. Which is why for the first episode, I chose an article in the 9th March edition of the Time magazine. It's an article on Jacinda Ardern who wants to bring focus back to ideas. The article is titled, Know Us By Our Deeds. The third and most crucial idea of this series is to bring back the culture that emphasized the beauty of published material. A culture that allowed you to read and learn rather than just gossip and walk online. I'm not saying I condemn all detractors. I encourage people who tell me I cannot do something, like start a popular podcast. Maybe they're wrong, maybe they're right. Let's see how this goes. Let's get started with the first episode. Yes, it's two editions old of this magazine, but I just feel it makes a fitting first episode. Time has been known to demonstrate powerful people with bold ideas on its cover, and Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, is a strong contender for this legacy. So I was excited diving into this edition. For some reason, I drew parallels to what I had read about Julia Gilliard, the Prime Minister of Australia from 2010 to 13 and my mind raced back to the horrors she documented being a woman in politics. But this felt like a more powerful figure just by the cover. There's a gradient on the cover, a dark gradient in grey, and Jacinda Ardern stares slightly above eye level, with her perfectly contoured and strong jawline. She's dressed elegantly in white, something that you'd expect in an ad of a Longinese watch. It's timeless beauty. So I skipped the first few pages to get to the cover article. The article again features Miss Art with a stern look on her face. 
At this point, I'm wondering if she ever smiles, because I haven't seen it yet. But trust me, if you Google it, you'll see a lot of pictures of her smiling, so that was reassuring. She's garnered a huge international recognition for her leadership throughout adversities, and how she plans on keeping the faith of her country intact was kind of the main focus of the article. Jacinda is a 39-year-old millennial. She became the prime minister of her country while pregnant with her first child. There's no doubt about the amount of strength she portrays by her very image. Her policy is liberal and her campaign was based around a promotion of kindness, acceptance and inclusion. Time reports this as pragmatic idealism. What really shines out is how she's shown to the world that young people in politics can be proactive towards issues while maintaining a regard for both liberal ideals and pre-existing cultural norms at the same time. Ardern is known to draw on local cultural costumes while meeting leaders from around the world. As New Zealand's Twitter is often seen by sharing her pictures, the people love her. She's everybody's favorite. Despite having her hands tied to often tone down her propaganda because of a coalition, she's kicked hard and she's left a, rem- a remarkable effect on politics. She no longer just represents a powerful leader, but somebody who other leaders want to be seen and photographed with. Because it generates this idea that they're just as liberal and as accepting as her. Which obviously is a lie. Being young, she understands the power of social media and also the perils behind it. Which is why despite using their services for solving the first issue of an extremist shooting during her presidency, she forbade the media from broadcasting the name of the shooter. This decision was met with some serious criticisms, but her overall popularity seems to have overshadowed it. Miss Arden holds her moral standards high and she doesn't shy away from them. She's been vocal about her views on climate change and what kind of a future we're leaving behind for our children. She's done what the internet calls a Greta Thunberg, but more voraciously, by joining forces with like-minded countries such as Norway, Iceland and Fiji over the UN General Assembly. Thunberg detractors who are sometimes a little too rude, however, have jumped to the point where they, they, they highlight how Arden wasn't just limited to words. This came when she moved uh, New Zealand to 100% imported energy by stopping all oil and gas exploration. So now New Zealand imports every bit of their energy. Now this is where things get complicated. Importing all of your energy coupled with raising of minimum wages, adding what they're called a well-being budget and all these changes that they're making, it's hard for the economy. At the end of the day, a government needs to run a country, but it's not just as simple as throwing money around and it and lifting people out of poverty. If that was the case, well, nobody would be poor, right? But there's an extent to the utopian scenario here, as they logically should be, and as you might anticipate. From what her government reports, however, businesses are still thriving. They have a 2.7% growth, which is magnificent because the United States, for reference, has a 2.3% rate, and the UK just has a 1.8%, which might go down, but that's for another episode. Let's talk about her housing project. In the midst of all this, her housing project aimed to distribute 100,000 houses, but it failed after just 47 houses. It was later deemed infeasible by economists. Speculators have cited that the game here isn't simply inflating growth or playing with numbers. 
The government is covertly redistributing funds from projects with fewer supporters to those that generate the welfare for a greater majority. This obviously raises the question, for somebody who poses as a person fighting to bring inclusion, how does this hypocrisy fit in? How does somebody who focuses on inclusion, which means getting welfare to everyone, focus on the welfare of those which make up the majority and get away with it? It's obvious you can't have everything, obviously. And it's even easier to pinpoint faults at what has otherwise been a powerful political career. But make no mistake, I'm not the only one raising this question. 41% of New Zealanders both show that although still in maturity by 46%, the trailing party has a support of 41%, which means the competition despite all her popularity is tough. And of course, she's just here by a coalition. Despite fending off issues and what seems to be a very, very strong career, the welfare sector is unsatisfied. They believe that welfare has been drawn and charted out on paper, but it has increased the overall quality of life. And they believe it's not serving the purpose that it should. They agree with the strategy, they agree with the steps, but they don't agree that it's affected them in the way that it should have. Let's talk about her gambling skills, and this is my favorite part. Arun seems to build the kind of an image that's somewhat analogous to Canada. You remember when the Canadian immigration website crashed after Donald Trump got elected and Trudeau said they would welcome immigrants with open arms? Something similar happened here. When Australia detained migrants on the islands off its coast, Arden held out a helping hand. She accepted over 150 of them. This number might not seem large, but given the scale of an island, whose biggest exporter is well, milk, something that nations aren't fighting over today, it does matter. Detractors argue that this shows her hypocrisy, as she expected Australia to reject this offer and it would paint them in a bad light, ultimately making them get the migrants back. Even if the detractors are true, and this is somewhat hypocritic, although I don't agree, she played the gamble pretty well. She knew Australia would ultimately fold and think about their reputation. That's a good gamble. That's a strong skill and that's something you want in your leader, the ability to take risks, the ability to know when somebody else can crash in front of you. It's a powerful move. To round up, my focus on this article wasn't on how they talked about art, but rather how they talked about her ideas her deeds, as she calls them, and her prospectus for a brighter and more inclusive New Zealand. To me, this is what people need to talk about more. It's easy to put politicians against one another and their political past against each other, but neither of that actually helps you or your argument. It just shows your vanity. What helps is analyzing the current scenario and a particular idea at a time. Remember, look back to learn, look forward to succeed. Although this particular Time magazine has a few other articles I'd like to touch upon, but this is where I decide to end my pilot episode. In the following episodes, the structure will be a little different. I'll walk you through the magazines, discussing the covers, discussing the illustrations, the drawings, the pictures, and other things that I find interesting. Sometimes the articles that I've just been reading and analyzing and which require a little more ideas. 
I'll try to get in touch with a few authors and see if they're interested. For that, you need to share the podcast. See you next time. Till then, keep washing your hands, take care, and don't go out. Please do not go out. Thank you so much. Thank you.